Proverbs 1 verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 1 Kings 4, 29-34 Solomon's Wisdom God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrahite, wiser than Heman, Kalkol and Dada, the sons of Mahol, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Hi there, my name is Geoffrey Lynn and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Adelaide. Uh, I'll be leading us through this series on Proverbs over the next six weeks and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, can I ask you as we begin to continue to have your Bibles open as Tim has invited you to do so, Proverbs chapter 1 please. And can I also ask you to make sure you can see an outline of today's talk. Uh, it was both emailed to you during the week, but you can also see a link for it on the chat or the notes section of Church Online. It'd be great to have that outline in front of you. It's a, it's a reasonably complicated kind of series. The outline will help make sense of it all. Well, as we begin, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that it's been written for us and for our salvation. Uh, so we pray as we begin this series on the book of Proverbs, that you might speak to us, show us how we might live lives that bring glory to your Son, our Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, if you have a look at the outline, you'll see what we're going to cover today. Uh, firstly, introducing the whole series. Uh, secondly, some clues or hints on how to read the book of Proverbs before I finish with a couple of reflections on how to make the most of our time together in the next month and a half. Point one then, introducing the series. Uh, Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote for Chaos, um, has become a cultural phenomenon in recent times. Uh, there have been millions of copies sold. It's elevated him to the status of uh, intellectual rock star. And so this week I had a bit of a look through it to see what all the fuss is about. And I've got to say, his advice ranges from the profound to the banal. So, for example, of his 12 rules, uh, number six Set your house in perfect order before you criticise the world. That's good advice. Or number nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something that you don't. Again, good advice. The twelfth one's a bit more intriguing. Pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. Now, love him or hate him, why is Jordan Peterson so popular? Well, the answer, I think, is that we, re we recognise that we live in a time when life is confusing and complicated, and all of us, to use the title of today's particular talk, all of us want to be wise. 
And that's even more important when we're living in, and I'm going to use at this point the much-quoted cliché, when we're living in unprecedented times. Uh, Or at least we're living in extraordinary times, to use the title of this series. Well, the book of Proverbs is the Bible's most famous wisdom book. If you've ever read it, you'll know that it is both wonderfully memorable and incredibly confronting. Wonderfully memorable? Uh, Well, my guess is that every person here has their favourite proverb. Uh, In fact, so much so that uh, next week I'm going to tell you about a little competition that I'm going to run for the rest of this series, inviting people to share which proverbs have been significant for them. But here's my favourite proverb. It's Proverbs 26, verse 18. Proverbs 26, verse 18. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbour and says, I was only joking. Wonderfully memorable, but at the same time, incredibly confusing. And incredibly confusing, I think, in so many different ways. Let me give you some suggestions. Firstly, proverbs can be very hard to decipher. The proverbs can be very hard to decipher. Let me read to you Proverbs 30, verse 15, and then I'd love you... Love it if someone would come and tell me afterwards what it means. You'll understand why it's so important to me. Proverbs 30, verse 15. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. I have two daughters. I presume, therefore, I'm the leech in this scenario. I have no idea what to do with this proverb. A uh, second way in which the proverbs can be incredibly confusing is that, well, to be really frank, sometimes they just sound like fortune cookie advice. It's a bleak, indirect. So, for example, Proverbs 26, verse 19. Sorry, Proverbs 26, verse 9. Here we go. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Hmm. Yes. What on earth does that mean? At other times, the proverbs can seem just plain contradictory. The most famous here, again, comes from Proverbs chapter 26. Verses 4 and 5, consecutive Proverbs. Have a listen. Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. The very next proverb, Proverbs 26, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. What are we meant to do with that? Sometimes I find myself wondering, it's almost as if you can find a proverb for every situation in life which means they seem almost pointless. But another way in which the Proverbs are incredibly confusing is that if you've ever read them from start to finish, it feels like there's no apparent logical progression in the book itself. Uh, If ever there was a book in the Bible which lent itself to the uh, open and point method of guidance, you know how that works, right? You need God to tell you something, so you open the Bible at random, you point it at a verse, and you see what it has to say. If there ever was a book in the Bible for that, you'd think it was the book of Proverbs. Because there doesn't seem to be any logical flow to it. I was talking with one of my colleagues here on the staff team uh, recently. Now, I'm not going to tell you who it was. Let's just say that his name starts with my and ends in Kel. He's had four years at Bible college And he said that he and his wife, in preparation for this series, read through the whole of the book of Proverbs. Do you know what their conclusion was? This is really hard. And it is. 
And that's because, fifthly, there doesn't seem to be any big idea in the book. Or is there? Well, point two on your handout, how to read the book of Proverbs. Let me offer you two pieces of advice as we start this series to make the most of the book of Proverbs and what God's word has to say to us. You'll see them printed both there on your outline. Firstly, remember the structure of the book. And then second, remember the purpose of the book. Well, firstly, remember the structure of the book. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and what I've done for you on the outline and also on the screen that you'll see uh, in front of you at the moment, um, a table that shows the structure of the book of Proverbs. You can see, actually, that it's divided into four main sections. Uh, There's an introduction in chapter 1, and there's a conclusion in chapter 31. In between, there's two major components, uh, what are called the instruction, uh, that's chapters 1 through 9, and then the sayings, those sort of short one-liners that we're more familiar with in chapters 10 through 31. Introduction, instruction, sayings and conclusion. And you can see on the table as well how I'm going to handle it over the next six weeks where we're going to spend most of our time. Now, to state the obvious, different parts of Proverbs will need to be read differently. And you can see in the way in which I've laid this out that Talks 1, 2 and 6, the start and the end in a sense, they are critical for making sense of the whole book. We'll keep coming back to this table throughout the series. Well, that's the first clue to reading the book of Proverbs. Remember the structure of the book. The second hint is to remember the purpose of the book. Now, at this point, we come to the second reading that we had, which is actually Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. Let me read it again for us. Again, look in your Bibles or you'll see it printed there on your outline. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, A few introductory comments then to help us make sense of the purpose of the book from verses 1 through 7. And if you turn over your outline, you'll see there. Firstly, A specific author, time, and place. Do you notice how the book began in chapter 1, verse 1? The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Three quick observations about this verse. Firstly, Solomon is a well-known historical figure renowned for his wisdom. In fact, the phrase, the wisdom of Solomon, is the epitome of a modern-day sage. Listen, in fact, to how 1 Kings 4 describes him. This is the first reading that we had. 1 Kings 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. 
He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Dada, the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Now, we're going to see how Solomon got his wisdom and how he put it into practice, uh, or not, actually, next week. And that, of course, will invite us to ask the question, well, what kind of king was Solomon? But for now, simply by identifying Solomon as son of David, king of Israel, it locates Proverbs in a specific time and place which will be significant. You see, Solomon's sayings, Solomon's Proverbs aren't just timeless sayings. They are grounded in history. And that must affect the way in which we read the book. Well, second observation to make about the author time and place is that as you read through Proverbs, you'll find an intriguing puzzle. Here it is. Not all of the sayings are by Solomon. For example, chapters 30 and 31 are from Agur, son of Jake, and King Lemuel, neither of whom are even Israelites. So why have they been included in this book that is called The Proverbs of Solomon? As I said, that's a little puzzle. We'll come back to that in Talk 5. The third observation is that there's clearly an editor who stands behind this book. That is, someone other than Solomon who has assembled the entire collection. Now, here's what you would call in this modern digital age... Here's what you'd call a content curator. He's the person who's gathered the best of everything out there and brought it together under this one heading. And this content curator has both the opening voice and the closing remarks. He has the introduction and the conclusion. So what role does this content curator play? Well, let's see from the introduction in verses 2 through 7. So on your your handout there, a specific author, time and place. Secondly, a specific purpose. A specific purpose. Now, as I read out Proverbs 1, no doubt you kept hearing the repetition of for, for, for. That's really helpful in working out what the purpose is of something. So here's the big idea. Solomon's Proverbs don't just teach us intellectual knowledge. Ultimately, they're given so that we make good life choices. Now, for example, verse 3, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair. Likewise, verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning, let the discerning get Guidance. 
what we're being told is that the book of Proverbs is more than just a pocketbook of pithy sayings that you might memorise and then recite at opportune moments. We're being told that the book of Proverbs is God's instruction to guide you each day so that you live well in his world. All of us, I think, understand the difference between gaining knowledge and acting. All of us understand the difference between being smart, that is, getting the top marks in an exam, and being wise. After all, the smartest person in the class can still be a fool. And so on your handout, I've printed there for you the direction or trajectory in which Proverbs takes us. From increasing knowledge to change in behaviour to the forging of our character. Increasing knowledge to change in behaviour to the forging of our character. Now, in these terms, wisdom is all about guidance. And I love that word because guidance evokes the image of finding a path or embarking on a quest. And so, now, I couldn't resist this. If a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, well, where do we start? Well, come with me one last time to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 because our content curator speaks again. Verse 7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Two things about where we start on our quest. Firstly, where our quest begins, and then secondly, a warning about the journey. Firstly, where our quest begins. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We've seen so far that wisdom means more than just learning stuff, although, of course, all of us can and should learn more. But according to verse 7, the starting point in our quest for wisdom is to recognise the link between knowledge and response. The starting point in our quest for wisdom is to recognise the link between knowledge and response so that, in fact, our first step on this quest for wisdom is actually to stop, to stand still, to stand in awe before our maker. I say that because of the phrase in verse 7, the fear of the Lord. Now, let me explain what that means. Fear of the Lord means more than just be afraid or be fearful. Fear of the Lord means acknowledging our finiteness before our creator. It means recognising that I am not God, even though we mostly live our lives with very little reference to him. As if we're in control as if we're masters of our fate or captains of our soul. Now, when we acknowledge our maker, we're called theists. 
Although, sadly, my observation is that in practice, many Christians live as deists, not theists. Now, I printed the words there on your handout. Theist is someone who acknowledges that there is a God. A deist, well, deism is a weak form of theism that says, yes, there is a God, but that God's not particularly involved in our world. The reason why I say that, sadly, many Christians live as deists is because by pretending that God's not particularly involved in our world, it enables us to largely ignore him when it comes to our decision-making. But with that in mind, did you notice how in verse 7 the word Lord is all in capitals? Not Lord with just a capital L, but Lord, each of the letters are capitalised. That's for a very important reason. It's to remind us that the word that it's representing there from the Hebrew, it means more than just little l Lord or master or boss. It's the Bible's way of representing the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah, we might say in English. And that's the name of Israel's God. Do you remember how I said at the start that this is a book that is from a specific time and place? Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That's why the word Lord here is capitalised. This is not just any God. This is the God of Israel. The God of his people. And this word here, Lord, it means more than just divine maker. It means personal protector. It means saviour and redeemer and sustainer. It is the Bible's way of describing one who is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. And so when I ask you, will you stand in awe before our God? I'm doing so not only because of his boundless power and might, but also because of his ongoing love and mercy, which the Bible says is new every morning. Well, that's the first thing that verse 7 tells us about our quest, where it begins, with the fear of the Lord. The second thing, a warning about our journey. Verse 7, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In the second half of verse 7, the content curator is issuing a solemn warning as we embark on our quest. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, why does he say this? Well, I think the answer is because Proverbs is going to be hard. At times, it's going to be hard to understand. At others, it will be even harder to apply. And we're going to need lots of help along the way. In particular, we're going to need rebuke when we've wandered from the way. If it can be really blunt, well, who's excited by the thought of correction? And because it's going to take lots of effort... There's a risk that this series will focus on all the things we must do or not do to avoid incurring God's wrath. 
which means we'll be constantly in danger of turning Proverbs into a rule book, a rule book that puts our fate entirely in our hands. Uh, Do this and you'll prosper, or don't do that and you won't. And, of course, the danger is that if we head down that pathway, we almost certainly will drift away from the grace of God to save us in Christ. So what's the solution? What's the antidote, to use Jordan Frazen's, Jordan Peterson's phrase, or to use a phrase that all of us get, what's the vaccine? What's the... What's the thing we need to ensure that we never stray away from God's overarching mercy? Well, here it is. Here's my suggestion as we begin this series. The very fact that God still bothers to guide us, even after we rejected his rule over our lives, is the ongoing testimony to his grace. It's the sign that he has not given up on us despite our ongoing sin and our recalcitrant hearts. His detailed instruction and blueprint for how to live well in his world is not some new burden that God is laying on us. Rather, it is proof of his unfailing love and that he still cares for us. Now, To give you an illustration, and to make this point, I thought I'd illustrate with a proverb of my own. Now, after years of parenting, I've started making up proverbs. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass my kids at this point. Uh, It's okay, Matthew, Zoe and Amy, you can relax, I'm not going to mention you. Well, here's one proverb about what to do when you take your kids to the playground, which thankfully are open again at last. You know the situation when you go to a playground and there's always one kid who's running around, hitting the other kids, being really annoying, and the parents aren't paying any attention? Well, here's my proverb for you. The fool says in his heart, I'm going to discipline someone else's brat. The fool says in his heart, I'm going to discipline someone else's brat. Now, it's a really stupid thing to do that. Uh, Not just because of how their parents are going to react, but in the, reason, in the end, the reason why you don't do it is because they're not your child. So quite frankly, it's not your business. The Lord guides us with such exquisite detail because he cares. We are his. And if he didn't do that, he'd leave us to our own devices Can you see, Proverbs is not setting an impossibly high standard that we'll never meet. Rather, it is testifying to God's amazing love, the love that he has for his children and his desire for us to thrive in his world. Well, let me wrap it up then. Point three, making the most of this series. One of the reasons why the book of Proverbs can be so confusing is that it's from a time and place so different from ours, 3,000 years ago, in the Middle East, in an agrarian society. Now, 
there are some really good resources out there that will help describe what that world was like and therefore make sense of those proverbs. And you'll see a reference to it on your handout, um, a great commentary by an, an Australian uh, theologian, uh, lectures at a Bible college in Melbourne called Lindsay Wilson. Listen to what he says. While the law is dominated by commands and prohibitions, uh, you shall not, and the prophets thunder at the people, thus says the Lord... There is in wisdom books, like Proverbs, a concern with those everyday details which are too small to be trapped in the mesh of the law or attacked by the broadsides of the prophets. What he's saying is that the book of Proverbs is about the simple things in life. It's about how to talk to people, how to shop in the marketplace, how to farm your crops if you have them, when to speak when to listen, when to work, and when to play. That's why I've called this series Ordinary Advice for Extraordinary Times. If you're watching today because you're someone who's not a believer, but you're curious about this whole Christianity thing, particularly in these unprecedented times, here's what I'd like to say to you. Thank you for joining us. I do hope you'll come back next week. Please hear this. Jesus is wiser than Solomon. Jesus is wiser than Jordan Peterson. There's a reference there to Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. This is Jesus speaking. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. But now something greater than Solomon is here. What I'm saying is that I'm not offering myself as an alternative guru in this series. I'm not saying to come and listen at the feet of wise man Jeff. I'm saying come to Jesus for he can make sense of this crazy world. Please do join us at our next Jesus Works course. I'm sure you loved hearing Alex's testimony a little earlier on. Perhaps you might witness and experience a similar kind of change in your life. If you are a believer, well, as we start this series, here's what I'd say, like to say to you. Uh, even more important than reading great commentaries on the book of Proverbs, can I urge you, give Proverbs a go or maybe Give Proverbs another go. 2 Timothy 3 reminds us that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That all scripture reference includes Proverbs. So as we start this series, can I ask you, can I invite you to embark on a journey of daily reflection over the next month and a half? And to state the obvious, I'm not going to cover everything in Proverbs over six Sunday sermons. And you all know that I'm constantly urging us to be like the Bereans, to test what we hear against the scriptures. And that will be especially important in this series as we jump around in this reasonably complicated book. So can I urge you to commit to reading Proverbs over the next month and a half? Now, I did some maths 
There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. This series will run for six weeks. If you were to read a chapter of Proverbs five days in the week, on the weekdays alone, well, you'll basically get through it. It's said that Billy Graham, the great evangelist, read one chapter of Proverbs a day on continuous loop, basically repeating each month. It's said that he did that for decades. Part of the reason why I want to encourage you to do that is that, um, well, without being rude, if you think you've understood it all on the first go, you probably haven't. Can I also say we're going to have some fun in this series Um, As I mentioned before, I'll be launching a giveaway competition next week to give us a chance to share about how the Proverbs have shaped us for God's glory. At the bottom of your handout, as I conclude, you'll notice that there are some discussion and reflection questions. That's either for you on your own or perhaps in the living room that you're sharing with others at the moment or perhaps over morning tea on Zoom if you join us. How do you feel about studying Proverbs? What are you excited about? What are you anxious about? What might motivate you to read it faithfully during this series? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you asking that you might guide us, that we might do the good works that you've prepared for us in advance to do, and that you might conform us more and more each day in this week ahead in the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.